If you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Mark chapter 12. It will be on the screens behind us as well. Let's read together a very short incident right at the very end of Jesus' public ministry. It's really one of the last things that happens. We're looking at Mark 12, starting at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. It's interesting sometimes just to watch people, isn't it? I know I like to do it. Maybe you do as well, whether you're at the mall or whether it's more um, maybe at the park. Ever watch people in the waiting room at the doctor's or dentist's office? You know, what they do and how they act different. Um, maybe at the gym. You know, and you're watching somebody and see how much are they lifting? How many reps are they doing? Or did they actually clean off that machine, you know? You're watching and just seeing what's happening. It's interesting to see how people react, how they behave. And Jesus did it. We're told that he was people watching in the temple right here. Maybe not what we traditionally expect or think of Jesus doing, but he was watching the people. Notice, he sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. It wasn't just random. It's not just happenstance. It's deliberate. He's watching something in particular. They're in what would be called the court of women, we're told that there was actually about 13 chests around the room, and you could put money into one of these chests. They were collected for different purposes and with different goals. And Jesus sits down and starts watching the people. Now, if we put it in our day and age, how would you feel if you noticed that someone was seated out in the foyer right across from the offering box. And they were watching each person as they came past and noticing what they were putting into the... That's what Jesus is doing. He's watching them. Now, he's not right beside it. He's opposite. But he is carefully observing what happened. And I think that would be kind of unsettling. How would you feel if you realized somebody was watching you as you put your offering in. 
Some of the commentators say it wasn't just visual. That as they put their offering in, depending on which commentator you're reading, either the person or a temple um, official would announce how much you just put in. I think, oh, wouldn't that be comfy? You know, just very different in some ways than what we're used to. Jesus is carefully watching people. And consider what he says. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now you think, okay, how is that possible? It's obviously not a literal thing because it can't be quantitative. She's given a tiny amount. And Mark comments that many rich people threw in large amounts. Jesus is seeing all of this. But he comments, notice, they are giving out of their wealth. What's the significance? What's that mean? It didn't hurt. Uh, They didn't miss it. They could spare what they were giving. Maybe they had a big deal go through that week. Maybe they were successful businessmen. Maybe they were nobility and they were giving from their largesse or maybe somebody sold property. But he said regardless of where their money came from, these were all rich people giving out of their wealth and Jesus didn't really take much notice. That didn't gain his attention. It was the poor widow who caught his attention. The one who put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, if we read Mark in the original, he's actually doing currency conversion right there. He's got a Roman audience who doesn't know what Jewish coins are worth, and he explains what's happening so they can understand how small an amount she is given. And so versions today translate it, trying to help us understand a few cents. You know, that's sort of the equivalent in our world. But what she gave, so much caught Jesus' attention that he calls his disciples, oh, come here, come here, come here. I I want all of you guys to see and to understand what's going on there. She, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. And the implication is that her very small offering is actually worth more than all the rest of them combined. You think, okay. Jesus wanted his disciples to see that. And Mark, as he's writing his gospel, he makes sure that that's included because he wants his readers to see that, and we need to see that. The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament talks about money. Wisdom literature does. We find it all through Scripture. Ecclesiastes says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth 
is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. That's not just rich people, that's poor people, because regardless of how much money we have, if we are in love with the money and we're looking to that to satisfy, we're going to be disappointed because money never satisfies. And the widow knew. It's almost like how she heard Jesus teaching through his ministry. Remember him talking about you can't serve God and money? It's not possible. You you can't love them both. You've got to decide who and what you're going to serve. Over in 1 Timothy, Paul warned there, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's easy to think, if, if I had more, then I'd be more generous. If I had more, then, then I could do a lot more, and, and I, I'd give a lot more, and, and I'd share, and, and I'd stop worrying if I had more. But the scriptures are saying, if that's what we're telling ourselves, we're telling ourselves something that isn't true. At this point in Mark, we're not told what else Jesus might have said. He doesn't go into a financial management course with them. But we do find in other parts of Scripture further instruction. So I quoted Timothy, 1 Timothy earlier. Paul went on there to tell Timothy what our attitude toward money should be. So for instance, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So obviously money and having as much money as we might dream of having is not the life that is truly life. And that widow knew that. Every indication is that she was well aware of that because she gave out of her poverty. She certainly wasn't putting her hope in money because she gave it all away. She had nothing left when she was finished. Now, let's go down just for a second into the technical details here. She gave two of the smallest Jewish coins, lepta, 
we occasionally find them, as they do archaeology, they were worth one-sixty-fourth of a denarius. Something we use every day, right? A denarius was a coin worth one day's wages. So, if we do the conversion, she gave one-sixty-fourth of one day's pay. So if we work a typical eight-hour day, no, they didn't back then, but this is for us, one-sixty-fourth of one eight-hour day is seven and a half minutes of work. That's how much she gave. Seven and a half minutes worth. And Jesus said, stop the presses. That guy that just dropped 10 grand in, I'm not interested. That lady that just dropped in the 8,300, not interested. That 500 over here, not interested. I'm interested in that lady right there. She just gave more than everybody else combined. It was huge. Despite her poverty, she gave, and Jesus noticed, and it wasn't the dollar amount that mattered. It wasn't the dollar amount that mattered. Can I tell you something? We got an envelope last week that came in. A donation envelope for the church building campaign and the fund. That envelope contained two quarters and a dime. And that envelope got my attention more than the other ones that come in. It struck me that Jesus is seeing what's coming in and it doesn't matter the amount. It's, it's not a competition. He's looking at the heart of the giver. He cares about what are we thinking? What are we doing? What's our, what our attitude? What are our thoughts behind what we give? Everything. All she had to live on, what she gave, which is total contrast to what he's just been doing, because he's just been in another conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees. Mark brings them all together. There's like five in a row here. This is the last one he gives, and Jesus has just blasted them because they're doing it all for the attention and for the respect and trying to make everybody admire them and impress the people around them. And he says they're devouring widows' houses and everybody's admire them and stand up to honor them as soon as they walk past and they're doing this religious thing. And Jesus wants nothing to do with it. He says it's worthless. And he points out this widow. She'd be one of the ones that they're taking over her house and her property. Now, when I read something like this, if I'm brutally honest, the first thought that comes to my mind is she's not very smart. She doesn't seem to be very wise with her money. 
if we use that attitude. I wouldn't encourage any of you to take your paycheck and put the entire thing on the offering plate and then wait to God to provide because you just gave it all away. Is that what this is teaching us to do? Is that what Jesus wants us to do? Does he want us to give away all that we have to live on and then pray that he'll give us something miraculously? I don't think so. Notice Jesus doesn't say, and Mark doesn't record, that Jesus said, this is what you're supposed to do, follow her example. But the contrast is just shocking. It's striking. Certainly, Jesus did not rebuke her, did he? Just like he didn't rebuke the woman who poured the perfume over his feet. The disciples were all thinking, wow, what a waste of money. Look at all that. They could have done all this. Jesus isn't there. That's not what Jesus does. That's not what Jesus is thinking about. He doesn't rebuke her. He praises. He, he brings attention to what she has done. He is honored God is honored by what she has chosen to do. He commends her gift, and I think we can all learn from that. Some commentators actually point out that the widow's example, we're not called to emulate that, but they'll point out that it is, in one sense, a horrible picture of what religious pretense and piety can end up preying on the vulnerable. And some would argue that's why it's right here in this point between those scribes and Pharisees and Jesus blasting them and the temple and he's going to say, oh, this is all going to be gone. This is all going to be rubble soon. Right between the two, there's these couple of verses talking about this poor widow. Because it's easy to take advantage. Regardless of whether that is the particular point, Jesus' words are clear. He emphasizes the value, the worth of her gift in God's eyes. He notices and cherishes what's insignificant and invisible to everybody else. Nobody else was noticing that poor widow. They didn't stop and blow a trumpet. Everybody around her didn't turn and applaud. The disciples had missed it. Everybody missed it. It didn't matter. It was so small. It was insignificant. It was nothing. But not to Jesus. Jesus saw it, and it was huge to him. I think you and I need to hear that. God isn't pleased with us because of how much we give. God isn't pleased with us because of how much talent we have. God isn't pleased with us because of how much time we give Regardless of whether it's talents or time or money or thought, or God's not weighing it. He's looking at the heart. 
And that's what makes it of value to him. He's honored by our gifts, even if we cannot give what we'd like to give or how much we wish we could give. He knows the weight you are dealing with. He knows the situation at work. He knows the family situation. He knows the demands that are on you, whether financially or mentally or relationally. He knows. And he cares. And he is honored. He sees us. He knows our minds and our hearts. And ironically, depending on how we are giving and and what we are thinking, that can be incredibly reassuring or it can be very disturbing because nothing is hidden from him. So in that sense, I think it's significant that the widow's sacrifice isn't presented as something that we're expected to follow. We find principles for gracious giving elsewhere. We don't have time really to go through it. Second Corinthians 8 and 9 are two chapters where Paul presents healthy, gracious giving. If I try to summarize it all up in four, four principles, I'd say grace giving is voluntary. You don't give because you have to. Don't give because you feel obliged, because somebody's told you, well, well, this is how much you have to give. That's not the way Paul teaches. Grace giving is generous. It's not out of obligation. It's a choice. Grace giving is planned, not just the motion of the moment, not feeling manipulated, not feeling guilty, It's a choice, a plan we've made. Grace giving is proportionate as well. God knows what we can afford and can't afford. God knows when we're giving from our extra or when it hurts and how much we choose. If we keep those principles in mind and just finish with Jesus, people watching in the temple, pointing out the widow. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I suggest a couple of questions we can all reflect on. How do I give? What's my attitude? Am I rich in good deeds? Am I generous with what I have? Am I willing to share? And third, am I putting my hope in wealth or in God? What is my bank statement, what does my credit card statement say about my priorities? I think we could say no gift is too insignificant to give to God, no matter what it is. And that gift that others may think small and immaterial can be incredibly pleasing to our God. He knows. 
Can I encourage you to take a minute now to pray? We're not passing an offering plate, but we can offer ourselves, we can offer our time, we can dedicate our donations, we can give of our talents and abilities. Let's take a minute now to pray before him and give him an offering. Father, we come before you as the one who knows all things. You know what we have and we don't have. We thank you for the health you have given. We thank you for jobs, for families, for homes and clothing. We thank you for this place. We thank you for the people that you have brought into our lives. We ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to see how we can use our time, our talents, our money, our minds to serve you. We give an offering to you of praise. We know we can do nothing and need to do nothing to merit your salvation. Jesus has done all that. We thank you for him. And we ask that you would be pleased as we seek to live for him. We pray that in his name. Amen.